Amen. All right. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one off the back table there. Those blue books, you're definitely going definite, to... Oh, this is not going to be a good night if I can't talk already. You are definitely going to need them tonight because we're going to keep walking through the book of James. Hey, let's go ahead and pull those lights up and maybe turn the stage lights down a little bit. I am blind right now looking at those things. So tonight, just to go ahead and let you know, we're going to be in James chapter 4. We're stepping into that next chapter. We've only got two chapters left, so we are slowly working our way to the end of this book. But as we look at James chapter 4 tonight, um, do you guys, every week that we've talked, when I've talked about the book of James, I tell you that James should come with something. What is it? A warning. Yeah, it just should come with a warning label because as, as you read through the book of James, what James has done here when he wrote this book, he's calling out the early church about things that were going on there. And saying, hey guys, you, you call yourselves a church, you call yourselves believers, then, then the way that you live your life should actually line up with what you say you believe about who God is and what God's called us to do. And it's an important book for us to read because as we read it, those same things apply to us today. All the things we've talked about so far in this book where James has talked about not showing partiality to people, not playing favorites in the church. He's talked about the way that we speak to each other and being able to control our tongue. He's talked about how faith without works is dead. How you are saved by faith through grace alone. And that is it. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation from God. It's a gift that God gives to us. But then our faith should be played out in the way that we live our life. It should move us to action. Faith without works is dead. And in this passage tonight, James kind of ramps it up a notch here. He's been talking to the Christians. He's been saying, hey, this is how you should be living. Tonight, he kind of goes after them a little more directly. And he starts off with a question here because he's talking about in here conflict in the church. Now, let's, let's be honest. If you've been around church for a while, or if you've just been around people for a while, conflict happens on a pretty regular basis, doesn't it? People get irritated, people get frustrated, people get mad, and then people start to say things and people start to do things. And and some of those are real things to get mad about. Some of those are things that we've just assumed some stuff and we kind of make things up in our head and then we get mad about it and treat people differently. But we all have that problem on occasion. What James is talking about is when that problem creeps into our relationships within the church. When the people who say that they are believers, disciples of Jesus start acting like people who don't believe in Jesus. He says, that's a problem. And he starts to call that out here. And he starts to, he actually addresses this conflict a little bit differently than we tend to address it. Think about it this way. When you get mad or you're upset with somebody and somebody comes to you and says, what's wrong? Is it your tendency to start saying, well, she did this and he did this and you're not going to believe what they said and I can't believe what they did to me and this is what I think they meant by that. We tend to start blaming other people, don't we? Yeah, we all do. I mean, Think about the last fight you had with your brother or sister. When your mom says, what's the problem? And the first thing you say, he hit me! She took my stuff! We immediately start blaming other people, but James? James changes it up here. James says, don't start blaming other people. You need to look inside first. So before we jump into these verses, let's look at the questions that we ask every week. Who wrote the book? Thank you, I've said it like 20 times already. James wrote the book. When do we believe he wrote it? 40 to 45. Some of y'all are like, 40 to 45 AD. It's like, you, it's like a test question now, isn't it? All right, who do we believe he wrote it to? 
Jewish Christians and house churches. Remember, in the very beginning of the book, he's written to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. These are believers who have been dispersed. They've been scattered because they're being persecuted for their beliefs. And why do we understand that he wrote this book? To encourage them to live out their faith. That's exactly right. So, every week, stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Nathan, come on up here and read those verses for us. James chapter 4, verses 1-12. through 12, Whichever microphone you want to use there. Hello. There we, there we go. go. Okay. What's up, Daniel? <laughs> okay, James 4, 1 through 12. It says, What causes quarrels and what, what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for bringing us all here tonight, giving us the opportunity to just meet together as a group and learn more about your word and what you're trying to teach us. Um, I pray that you will first and foremost just let scripture be scripture and let us see it for what it is before we start projecting our own interpretations on it. Um, I pray that you'll be with Pastor Jesse as he's speaking, help him to deliver the message that you've given him and help us to take something out that we can live out in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Absolutely love the way that James... He, he keeps doing this. He keeps asking a question to kind of set us up. That very first verse there, James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Stop right there. Our normal response when somebody asks a question like that, as I just said a minute ago, is to start pointing out what everybody else has done to us. But James doesn't leave it there. He goes right into that very next question. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? James says, hey, before you start blaming everybody else, before you start saying it's their fault and they did this and they made me think this and they acted this way, he says, stop and look inside. If our natural tendency when we have fights, especially with other believers in the church, is to start blaming everybody else, James is saying, no, that's not where you need to look first. Yes, other people may have done things that are wrong. Other people may have acted in ways that are not okay. But when it comes to having conflict and quarrels with other believers, You've got to stop pointing the finger outside of yourself and stop and say, God, what's going on in here? What's happening? What is going on in my heart and in my life that is causing me to respond the way that I'm responding to people? Now, understand this. There's going to be conflict, right? Yes, no. I'm asleep right now. Okay, there's some of you doing that. There's going to be conflict. And sometimes that conflict is legitimate somebody really did something somebody really hurt you in some way but scripture also talks about how we're supposed to address that conflict 
And a lot of times the problem is we don't follow the biblical model of addressing that conflict. Instead, we start to talk about people, spread rumors, or act like they're not even there, especially at church. And we're great at covering it up sometimes. This is, I, I used to, this used to drive me nuts in my house growing up. My parents would be so angry about something. My brother and I had gotten in a fight. We had done something and just, I mean, laying into us. But as soon as you get out of that vehicle on that church campus on Sunday morning, it's like, I can't believe you. Hey, how are you doing this morning? And that smile comes on. And you guys have seen this in your own families, haven't you? Some of you have. You've seen it. And, and we're good. And the whole time, you're, you may have people at church you've got conflict with and some lady walks by and you're like, hey, so glad to see you. I hope you trip over that sidewalk right now. Or, or You come up with all of these different things, but it's there. Conflict, fights, quarrels, they're all going to be there. And what we've got to learn to do as believers is learn how to handle those appropriately. And that's what James is talking about. He's pointing out that if we as believers have a problem with each other, we need to stop pointing the finger at everybody else and turn around and look inside first. Because what tends to happen is when we're fighting each other, it's because our pride has been wounded. Because we think somebody said something wrong for us or about us or did something wrong to us. Or even what we talked about this last week, where James talked about the fact that we get jealous and we have rivalry because somebody has a position or a relationship or something that we really want and we think we deserve it more than they deserve it. And it becomes a point of conflict, a point of tension. And that's why he says here in those couple verses, he goes back, he says in verse 2, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask. In verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He's saying the problem is we're so focused on us that even the things that we want God to give us and God to bless us with, we do it with the wrong reasons when we ask. We ask for our glory and for our pride and for our happiness instead of God, is this what you want for me to honor you with my life? James is saying we've got to stop looking at things the way we're looking at things and we've got to turn it around. So what's the solution? How do we do that? If our focus when it comes to conflict is on everybody else, James says the only way to do that is to stop looking outside and turn around and put your focus on God. Because if we just look at ourselves, let's be honest. We're going to start thinking about why we're upset and we're going to find reasons to justify every reason that we're upset. Because that's what we do. So we can't even focus on ourselves. We've actually got to focus on who God is. And that's what James talks about through the next seven verses of this passage. How do we focus on God instead of focusing on all the other people and the problems that we think they have? Because when we focus on God, God starts turning his light on what's going on in our heart, in our life. And as we do that, we begin to understand who he is and who we are. So look at what James says here in verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? So right here in these first two verses, we see James telling us 
that one way you focus on God is by pursuing Him above everything else. He says right there, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James is talking about that we've got to put that relationship with God above everything else in our life, above relationships, above position, above a job, above everything else that is in our life. God has got to be number one on top of everything. He's basically saying you either pursue God with your life or you're pursuing something else. It can't be both. You can't pursue God with every area of your life and still be pursuing this with just this part of your life over here. It's, it's all or nothing. Scripture tells us you've got to be hot or cold. You know, you, you're either following God or you're not following God. It's not, I'm going to follow God a little bit, but when I want to, I'm going to go do this instead. It's got to be all or nothing. That's what James is saying right here. There's no in-between. saying You can't choose God today. God, I'm going to live for you today, but tomorrow morning between 6 and 7 a.m. when I want to sleep, I'm not going to do my quiet time. That's going to be my time, God. We're not going to worry about you there. It can't be that way. It's got to be all of it or nothing. And remember, he's writing this to who? Jewish Christians and house churches. He's writing these to church people, to believers. And he's reminding them from the Old Testament, there's a covenant between God and his people. And if you don't know what a covenant is, it's, it's an agreement that both party, parties enter willingly and there's an expectation for both sides. It, it's kind of like a marriage. That's, that's a covenant agreement. Husband, wife, we agree. We enter into this covenant, this relationship, and we're going to focus solely on each other. We're going to forsake everybody else, not worried about any other guys, not worried about any other ladies. It's going to be the two of us. And, and that's what God did with the Jewish people. He said, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. You're going to follow me, and I'm going to take care of and provide for you and lead you. And he's reminding them that, that they're a covenant people, and he's saying that these believers in that covenant relationship, kind of like in a marriage, they have walked away from that covenant, and they've chased after other things. That's why he talks about them being adulterous. They've walked away from, from that love and that commitment there. And, and the people in the Old Testament, the, the Jewish people, they were bad about this. They, that's what the whole book of Judges is about. You want to wrap it up in a nutshell? They followed God. They decided, nope, we're going to do this instead. They got in trouble. They said, God, come save us. God sent somebody to save them. They said, thank you, God. They followed Him for a while, and then they did the same thing again and again. Over and over and over. They kept turning away from that covenant relationship. James says, that's what's going on here. As you've turned away from God, you're adopting these other things. And as you do that, you're becoming a friend with that phrase he keeps using, the world. Now there's a word in there, enmity. Is that a word we use on a regular basis these days? No, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody use that in a sentence except for reading this verse. Does anybody know what that means? It's not good. You're right, it's not. What's it mean? Opposition. Yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. Anthony? Pretty much. It's, it's, it's opposing the person that you're supposed to be following, the person you say that you're committed to. You're, you're joining the opposition. You're in contradiction to them. You're going the other way. The actual definition says it's a state or feeling of hostility. So these are people that say, we love God, but with the way that they act and the way that they're living, they're saying, we hate God. 
That's what Scripture says in 1 John 2, 15 and 16. He writes this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, it can't be both. It's either God or everything else, not God and everything else. It goes on, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. He's saying, don't love the world or the things of the world. And when we talk about the things of the world, that's this, this phrase that we use. Well, what does that actually mean? Here's what it means. It means you as a sinful human being craves sin. Plain and simple. Our, our minds crave it. Our bodies crave it. It's a natural bent that we have because we are born sinners. And when Scripture talks about the world, it talks talking about all of these things that we long for, whether intentionally or just we tend to step into those things without even consciously thinking about it, is saying that's what the world has to offer. All of the things that dishonor God. So you can choose all of those things or you can choose to chase after God, but you can't choose both because it doesn't work because God and sin, those things are at odds with each other. So when we go after all of those other things that our flesh and our, and our minds crave naturally, we're saying, God, I hate you. And that, that's, a, that's a harsh thing to say, but that's what God's Word says. If our one desire is to go after every sinful desire we have, that passage in 1 John says, the love of God is not in us. Now, let's be honest. We all fall into temptation from sin. And Satan knows what tempts every single person in this room. Every believer. And there may be times where we mess up. But in that mess up, it's a choice of, okay, I'm going to stay here. Okay, God, no, you've called me to something more than this. I'm going to get up. I'm going to brush myself off. And I'm going to pursue you. And I'm going to do everything I can to press into you so that I don't fall into that again. That's what James is talking about here when he's talking about these desires that we have. It's a daily battle. And it's a battle, and guess what? God wants you to win that battle. That's why it says in verse 5, it says He's jealous for you. Over and over and over, as I said before in the Old Testament, God wants His people to remain faithful, and it tells us that God is a jealous God because He wants His people to be faithful to Him. He doesn't want us to fall into that stuff. He doesn't want us to, to choose all of that stuff. And it's not a prideful jealousy because when we get jealous, it's because somebody's hurt our pride, right? Or we don't think we've gotten what we deserve. But when God's jealous, that's a righteous jealousy. That's a righteous thing. Here's what that means. It means that God has the right to want our worship and want our love and want our commitment because He's God because He's the Creator, because He's the one that designed us, and He's the one that made us to be in a relationship with Him. That's what a righteous anger looks like. And He's saying that God has that. We don't get to have that. And then He goes on in verse 6, continues to tell us how to focus on God. He says, but He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You focus on God to work through all this conflict stuff. You focus on God by being humble. Now, as Having pride a bad thing. Yeah, it can be. There's a fine line that we walk there. 
When, when you walk through Scripture, you're supposed to take pride in things that you do well. Scripture tells us that we're supposed to do everything as though we are working for God because we are. Everything is supposed to bring honor and glory to Him. We should take pride in a job well done. We should take pride in accomplishments because we have the opportunity in that to bring glory to God. Where we cross that line is when we have pride and we go from taking pride in something to being prideful about something. It goes from, I did really well here. Thank you, God, for allowing me to do my best. To, I did really well here because I'm awesome. And because I'm better than everyone else that I went up against. There's a difference in those things. And that's what James is talking about here. He's saying God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Your pride can become all about you when you start craving attention and applause and a praise and all this other stuff that comes with it. And it says God opposes the proud because pride puts distance between us and God. Because when we become prideful, it becomes about me and not about God anymore. And that's why James is saying what he's saying here. It takes our focus off of God. And then in verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You focus on God by submitting to him. Now, that's a word many of us don't like the connotations of to submit to someone else. A lot of times when you hear that talked about in church, you probably hear it more talked about when it comes to wives submitting to husbands than people submitting their life to God. And yet, that has a much bigger context for everything in our life as a disciple. Is submitting our entire life, our entire being to who God is. We don't tend to respond well to that idea of submission because we think somehow it makes us lesser. It makes us not as important. It makes us lower than the people we choose to submit to. But just like we always talk about in that marriage relationship, that's not a forced submission. That's a willful submission. That's saying, I'm going to submit to your authority. I'm going to submit to your leadership. We have the opportunity to willingly submit to God's leadership in our lives. Submitting and obedience are two different things. For instance, can you be obedient to your parents without submitting to their authority? No? Can you be obedient to your parents without submitting to their authority? Okay? If you complain first and then do it, okay. Logan? Okay? Do you choose to obey them? Now, let me, let me add another level to it. Can you obey and still be disrespectful? So then have you fully submitted? No, you haven't. See that? I'm, I'm, I'm going to take it down another level. We've got a, a dog in our house. She's what, five months old now? This dog, this dog, is, she, she's energetic, she's playful. But when this dog wants something or doesn't want to go in the kennel, or feels like, and for some reason she's taken, like Nathan is her favorite thing in the house to bite besides her chew toy. I don't know why. There are times where we will tell her to do something and she'll do it. She'll sit, she'll lay down, she'll stay, she'll do some of the things we tell her to do. There are other times 
where she will do it, but she will growl the entire time she's doing it. Like the other night, she was trying to get on the counter. Um, and Was it the other night? Yeah, it was like two nights ago. She was trying to get on the counter during dinner while Kathleen's making dinner, and I told her to get down, and she did. But then she proceeded to look me in the eye and growl for like 30 seconds to let me know she was not liking what I was telling her to do. She obeyed, but she didn't fully submit. That's the same thing that we do when it comes to God. When it comes to God, we'll say, okay, God, this is what I'm supposed to do, so I'll do it, but this isn't really where my heart's desire is. Me following you in this area of my life is not really what I want to do. I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do, but I'm not going to submit. What he's telling us here is that we've actually got to submit ourselves to God. Every area of our life. That's how you focus on God by saying, God, I'm giving you everything. Everything. My thoughts, my words, my actions, my relationships, my school, my work, my family, everything. And that's a tough choice. But when you do that, Scripture tells us right here, it tells us to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You focus on God by submitting to Him. You also focus on God by resisting the devil. Let me let you in on a little secret. Satan is not happy when you're focused on God. His goal for you, if you say you're a Christian, is to keep your focus off of what God wants you to do with your life. And keep your focus on what you want to do for your life. Because when he does that, your focus is not on God. Your focus is not on who God's called you to be. And when that is the case... You're not obedient to God. Now we're doing everything we want to do, not what God calls us to do. But it says right here that when we put our guard up, when we look for Satan, when we understand that we're under, under attack from him, we'll be able to recognize it and we'll be able to draw closer to God because when you are fully submitted to God, Satan is running scared. So we have to focus on God. And in verse 8, he says this, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You focus on God by drawing close to him and by confessing your sins to him. Not through a priest, not through a pastor, but to God. And if you're going to draw close to God, that means you've got to spend time with him. Think about the, the closest, the strongest relationships you have in your life. Those are the people that you spend the most time with. Those are the people that you talk to. Those are the people that you care about. Those are the people that you listen to. Those relationships are strong. If you want that strong relationship with God, Scripture tells us you've got to draw close to Him and the best, easiest, simplest way you can ever do that is by getting into this. God's Word. Because this is where we find out who God is. This is where we find out how to live a life that honors Him. This is where we find out how to submit to Him, how to be obedient to Him, how to do all of those things that He wants for us in our lives. Drawing near to Him, Scripture tells us when we draw near to Him, He's going to draw near to us, and that's a promise that we can count on. You may be in here tonight, and there may be times in your life where you feel like you don't feel the presence of God. I want to let you in on a real secret that may be hard to hear. Those times you feel distant from God, God has not walked away from you. 
Let that sink in for a second. God has not gone anywhere because God's word tells us he is always there, present in the lives of those who put their faith and their trust in him. When we don't feel close to God, it's because we haven't drawn near to him. Because we've chased after other things. Because we've let other things in our lives crowd out the place that he's supposed to have. We've got to draw near to God, and we do that by spending time in his word. And as you do that, it begins to shine a light into your life and into your heart. And he begins to reveal those areas where sin has creeped in and sin has kept us from being focused on God. And all of a sudden, we start having conflict with everybody else. That's why he talks about here. He says, you need to cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded when we come to God sometimes, and, and you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm willing to bet some of us in here, we say at the end of the day, God, forgive me of my sins today. And it's kind of like a generic prayer of, okay, God, I know I did wrong stuff, so please forgive me. And we just kind of let it go at that. And, and yet what it says here, it says, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, you double-minded. This, this language here, this is talking about bringing your sins before God and not just saying, God, I'm sorry I sinned, but God, I know I did wrong today. I was wrong in this situation. I said what I shouldn't have said here. I thought what I shouldn't have thought here. It's saying, okay, God, I recognize in all of these areas where I messed up. It's, it's kind of like this. Have you ever been sitting in class and somebody like does this real big belly sneeze into their hands? I just heard a name. Or maybe it's been you. And, and they look, or you look, and there's snot on their hand. Like just <laughs> all over the place. And in between. Or, or maybe you've done this. Maybe you've had a time, and this is gross, but I know people do it. You've blown your nose, and before you throw that tissue in the garbage can, you go, and you look at it. See how big it is, how color, what color it is, how gooey it is, how nasty it is. Hey, guys. That's what we've got to do with our sin. Because it's nasty, it's ugly, it's gross. But if we just say, God, forgive me of my sin and walk away, then we forget how ugly and gross it is. We forget how dishonoring to God it is. We've got to stop and we've got to purify our hearts. We've got to cleanse our hands. We've got to see what is it in my life that has offended God today so that I don't go back there, so that I recognize it the next time I see it, so that I see it coming before it ever pops up in my life again. That's the language that James is using here. God knows your sin. Let me be clear on that. Some people say, why do I have to confess my sin? God knows my sin. You're right, he does. But you need to know it too. Because if you don't know what you've done to sin against God, you're going to do it again. And you're going to do it again and again and again. But if you stop and you examine it, God, I'm sorry I did this. Now you know what to look for next time. And you have the opportunity to step back from that and draw near to God. That's why it says in 1 John 1, 9 and 10, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, 
we make him a liar and his word is not in us. But we have the opportunity to do this, to focus on God. And then he says in verses 9 and 10, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's that same sin, disobedience. It should break our hearts. God, I sinned against you and I can't believe I did that. And I'm, I'm, I'm broken over my sin. I'm broken over the disobedience and the things that I chose to do today and to say today and to look at today and the way I chose to treat people today. He's saying mourn over it, look at it, see what it is because you recognize in that moment that only God can fix that problem. And it takes humility to recognize that in your life. And he says here in verses 11 and 12, he kind of rounds it out. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So much of what James has written in this book has to do with how we speak to and talk about other people. And when it comes to the body of believers, we're going to have times where conflict arises. And that conflict, those arguments, those disagreements, very often result in us having judgmental attitudes and using hurtful words towards each other. And we have to be on guard for that. Because when we take that approach to our relationships, we're putting ourselves in the place of God. That's what he's talking about. There's only one judge and one lawgiver. That's God who created everything. That's God who has the right to stand before us righteous and holy and tell us you're not quite there. And when we take that attitude of saying, you know what, they wronged me. I know what God's word says. I'm in the right here. All of a sudden we say, I have the same ability that God has. That's a scary place to be. He's saying in those conflicts, you've got to make sure that you are not putting yourself in the place of God. Scripture tells us as far as we are able, we are supposed to live at peace with other believers. And, and, and sometimes as we're talking through these things, guys, our minds immediately start to go to, well, I wish so-and-so was here tonight because they really needed to hear what God's Word said tonight. And the whole point of this passage is stop thinking that way. Stop thinking about what other people have done, what other people need to hear, how other people need to act. He's saying, turn your attention to God so that God shows you what's going on in here, in yourself. Because it's only then will we understand who we're supposed to be when it comes to our relationship with God. To know that we cannot in any way ever do enough right to be right with God. It's only Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that pays the penalty for our sins. It's only through Him do we have the opportunity to have a relationship with God. So here's my question for you as we wrap this up tonight. Are you focused tonight on what everybody else has done to you? Or are you focused on what God has called you to be? Think about it. 
Are you focused on what everyone has done to you? The fights, the quarrels, the irritations, the problems you've had with people right here in this room and what they have done and how wrong they are in the situation? Are you focused on, God, where's my heart? Because we can't control everybody else. We can't do anything about how everyone else acts. The only person you can do anything about is you. But you have to choose. Am I going to pursue God and focus on Him and let God sort all that out? Or am I going to take care of this myself and tell God, I don't need you on this one? If you're here tonight and you're a believer, you say you're a disciple of Jesus, you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, and you're thinking everyone else in this room needs to hear this, I'm good, then you need to go back and read that passage. Because this is for all of us. All of us. We've got to check our hearts. We've got to check where our focus is. And if you're here tonight and your focus isn't on God, when we stand up to sing, I want to challenge you. Don't stand up immediately. Maybe you want to come down here. Maybe you want to talk to God at the altar. Maybe you want to do it right there in your seat. But take a few minutes and focus on God. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. That's what God calls us to first and foremost. To focus on Him. So that when it comes to dealing with everybody else, He's the one helping us deal with all that junk. Because when we do it on our own, we're going to fight. We're going to quarrel. We're going to mess it up. But if we're seeking God, He's going to guide us to set through all of that. Let's pray. God, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for who You are, God. We thank You that we can come before You and worship You and know You. And God, I just pray right now. Um... <laughs> God, I pray for relationships. God, I pray that that when it comes to dealing with people when, when we're hurt, when we're frustrated, when we're insulted or angry, God, help us to do the hard thing and help us to focus on you instead of what's been done to us. Help us to focus on you and to press into you and to pay attention to you and to follow your word, God, so that you can make us into the men and women that you want us to be so that we can see how you're going to work through situations that when we try to handle God, we're just going to cause more problems. My God, I pray right now for every single person in this room that God, if there's, if there's a, an issue tonight that needs to be dealt with, if there's a fight, if there's a quarrel, if there's, a, there's, there's rumors that people think other people are spreading, God, I pray that you'll give anybody in here dealing with that tonight the boldness and the courage to deal with it tonight. God, to go to that person, to go to those people and to deal with it the way your word calls us to in love and forgiveness and in unity in Christ. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.